Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fucking ucks? I am in I am in Toronto as I'm saying this. Uh, what have I got to tell you, people? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for listening to my show. We've got a, an interesting guest because I wonder how many of you know him or know his work. Josh Groban is on the show today. He's a, a Twitter pal of mine, and, and he's a huge record-selling machine. People love Josh Groban. Who is Josh Groban? Who loves Josh Groban? It would be easy for me to condescend uh, the world of Josh Groban, but I chose to engage Josh in a nice conversation about his world. He's a he's a crooner, an old style kind of uh, adult pop crooner. I don't even know how you'd categorize it. I have to talk to him about it. But I was curious, man. This cat has sold some fucking wax. But he's a good guy and it's an interesting story. And I was thrilled to talk about it because it's popular music, folks. Someone out there is buying those records, and he's a very unsuspecting character for this type of uh, stuff, but people love the guy's voice, and he's a good guy. And you'll, you'll hear me talk to him in a few minutes. What do I got to tell you? What's going on? Tonight on the show, Marin, is an episode that I wrote uh, called Mark's Family. It, it features um, Judd Hirsch. Sally Kellerman is my mother, and Dave Cross uh, plays Dave Cross. I'm trying to. I'm going to try to give you some behind the scenes because sometimes I don't. I don't know if you if you know exactly how casting goes and and whatnot. But we wanted to have a podcast guest on this on this episode, the episode I was writing, and we needed somebody for reasons that will become revealed to you that uh, smoked weed. So I thought, uh, you know, Seth Rogen would be great. So I, I wrote the part for Seth Rogen, assuming we could get Seth Rogen. You never know who you're going to get. And it's not really a matter of whether or not someone can play the part uh, or it's, it's really about availability. I, there's a lot of goodwill out there for my show. And, and I'm happy about that. And I contacted Seth because he had been on my show. And, you know, I said, I, you know, I'd like to write you into this episode. I think you'd be perfect for the part. Turns out he had to go to Vancouver. So then we got to figure out who can do this part. And then, you know, Dave Cross and I, of course, are are great old friends and he can do anything. He's really one of the funniest guys in the world. So I reached out to Dave and and it turns out he was going to be in town and he could do it. Uh, The problem is, is that, uh, you know, sometimes there's a a missing link in the chain and they sent a script out to Dave and he showed up uh, to shoot 
he walked in and he said, I, I didn't understand. I was reading the script and, and I didn't understand who I was because I saw, okay, there's Mark uh, and there's Seth Rogen. And uh, I didn't, I didn't know what part I was playing. And then I realized I'm playing the, I'm playing Seth Rogen. Very awkward. And had it been anybody else, uh, it, it would have been really awkward. But Dave was fucking hilarious and he's hilarious in the episode. It's a, it's a great episode. Also, this is, uh, you'll see more of the character established briefly uh, in the first season of My Brother. There was a quick phone call in season one with my brother. Uh, but in this, uh, Troy Ruptosh plays, uh, he's, it's all about me and my brother. It, it, the whole episode revolves around me and my fictional brother played by Troy, who actually, and it's uh, a little known fact, and I believe it's true, he plays the original Don Draper. He plays the Don Draper that was killed in Korea. The Don Draper who Don Draper steals his name from is Troy Ruptosh, and he plays my brother. But I'm very proud of this episode. As I said, it came out of my mind. I did the uh, the original script for it, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, every, Dave is hilarious, and it's always great to see Cross. Oh, next week, next weekend. Is it next weekend? Weekend after this weekend. Is that next weekend? Yes. Yes, it is. So I believe that, yeah, the 27th, the 28th, Bloomington, Indiana at the Comedy Attic. Please come if you're in the area. I think there's tickets. I don't know. I know I'll be in Lawrence, Kansas also next week. I think there might be a few tickets. that go to Just go to WTFPod.com and uh, check the calendar, okay? I'm sorry. I should be more organized. I'm traveling a lot. I think my sinuses are screwed up. And I just got a, three boxes of Goo Goo Clusters from Nashville. I don't know how many people listen to the show. This is not a sponsorship thing, man. And and it's like, it's one of those situations where I don't know what to do. I mean, I mentioned, I, I never had them before. And then they had Goo Goo Cluster picks, guitar picks. And I talked about it on the Vince Vaughn episode. So I get this box today at the PO box, three boxes of three different kinds of Goo Goo Clusters, three different kinds, 12 in a box, a hat, which I liked, a mug, which I'll use, a t-shirt, which I'll run in. Because I'm going to have to after I eat three boxes of fucking Goo Goo Clusters. Original, super kind, peanut butter. I mean, this is one of those situations where like, I this is one of the benefits. This is one of the perks. But now I'm going to be tortured by, by these Goo Goo Clusters. There's just going to be Goo Goo Clusters just crying my name like sirens in a freezer. And I'm not tied to the mast of a boat. I can just go to the freezer. Oh, it's, I'm going to need that shirt to run in. They should have sent me more shirts and another hat because I'm going to have to run all the Goo Goo Clusters off. I can't, I cannot go on being this tortured by food. I, what I'm trying to say is thank you. What did, what came out? Did something else come out? Did it sound like a complaint? So some of you saw me on Louie on Monday. I didn't know when it was going to be on, but he saved it for, for, for the finale. And uh, I got a DVR. I got to watch it. It looked like it got some good feedback. It seems that people are enjoying the old switcheroo, the role reversal that uh, was established in my uh, interview with Louis C.K. Uh, I, I'm always uh, thrilled and uh, and honored to be asked to be on the show. I was happy he asked me last season. I was uh, happy that he came up with this angle this season. I hope you enjoyed that. Hopefully, you know, if we get another season of Marin, I don't know yet. I, I uh, Hopefully, we'll, we'll get Louis uh, on Marin uh, as Louis, I think, would be the best way to do it. Uh, but... Uh, we're doing good. Uh, we talk occasionally. We're friends. And, and that's all leveled off. And that's great. 
Uh, I'm talking to my father. I called my father on, on Father's Day. We're friends, and that's that's great. Um, I'm having some trouble with Deaf Black Cat. I don't know why he's abandoned me. He showed up to, basically, I told you to, to say hello, and uh, and that was that. And now I don't see him anymore. Maybe I'll check in as soon as I get worried again, but I guess I guess cats don't really give a shit. You know, I, I, I don't want to admit that, and I, I know my cats love me, but I don't know how long that love would last, given a few days away, maybe a week or two. But I guess Deaf Black Cat's getting some better food somewhere else, and that's just the way it is, as long as he checks in occasionally to let me know he's moved on. You know, I mean, just, you, you can leave the nest, but uh, drop by occasionally for holidays, maybe for a little something to eat every once in a while. That's all I'm asking. Is that wrong? The crooners seem to be around a lot more. Now it seems to be sort of a throwback, but I don't think Josh Groban's really a throwback. He's, he's, he's a crooner for this age. He's not doing some shtick. He's not doing a Sinatra shtick. He's doing his own thing. I remember one of the first cassettes I had was one of my parents' cassettes. It was a Jerry Vale tape. He was a crooner, wasn't he? All I remember was him doing a cover of Little Green Apples. God didn't make little green apples and it don't rain in many Indian apples. Where is it? In the summertime. Crooning is not my thing. Clearly not my thing. But uh, but I was excited to talk to Josh Groban, so why don't we do that now? Why don't we listen to me and Josh Groban? You'll be surprised. Surprised, not surprised. I like surprised. Surprised, I understand. Surprised, I've not defined. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Yet. Yeah, I do play guitar, Josh. Do you play guitar? No, not at all. I grew up playing uh, piano. Piano and drums. The, Pian- string, the stringed instruments. Anything I need to put my finger on a string and build a callus. Did you just turn me up? Oh, sorry. Did I turn you up? I yeah. apologize. I was wondering, like, is what me? is happening? Oh, sorry. The second one. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. Sorry. How's that better? That's great. I was like, I'm, I've got a lot of Josh <laughs> Groban in my head. <laughs> more me. Yeah. More me. The guy, he's really good I with his voice. I've never had sense. anyone. Have a sense the host. Never heard anybody me. so <laughs> clearly project into my head. <laughs> Before you know it, I'll have reverb on me. I'll, 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 yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. Fuzz, some yeah. echo. Yeah, exactly. Wait, just ricocheting in my brain. The the dulcet sounds of Josh Groban's voice ricocheting <laughs> conversationally in my mind. That's right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I just use the word dulcet. Is that the right word? Yeah, sure. Dulcet, 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 dulcet tones, they say. Dulcet tones. Uh, yes, my, my dulcet baritone will rever- you, you, reverberate throughout your... That's been written about you. Had, the I, dulcet baritone. When lucky. Are you a baritone or a tenor? I would say I'm a baritone. Uh-huh. Yeah. I w- uh, there was a time when I was, I was really... Uh, 
thinking to myself, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a baritone working on becoming yeah. a tenor. And then I thought, yeah. you know what? I, I like singing low. So, yeah? Yeah. Well, the, it's interesting to me, like, you're, you're here because uh, you, we have common friends, and, you know, I see your funny shit on Twitter, <laughs> and, and some, somehow or another, I, I've decided, I've, I, I've identified a struggle in your life, oh. and that is to <clears throat> reconcile the reality of, you know, your profession and mm. what you're very good at and, and make a fortune doing, Thank you. and people love and enjoy, okay. and the fact that you're just a, a dude <laughs> who likes to hang out. Yeah. Like, how old are you? Uh, I'm 33. So you're 33. You want to have some peers? Some, you know, you're yeah. pretty groovy guy. Okay. So at some point, you know, I I think uh, maybe I'm wrong because I'm projecting. So there's quite a possibility that I'm wrong. <laughs> that at some point you have to actually have a somewhat ironic detachment from what you are known as in the world. You know, in order to integrate into, uh, you know, the sort of community that, you know, you like hanging out in, like you know, Tim and Eric, or or me, or the Nerdist, or the comedy world. Sure. Well, I mean, we're not all one thing, and I think that, you know, uh, certainly, I I was signed at 17 years old, and I was signed with uh, a fairly large classical-style singing voice, so the marketing campaign around that kind of a singing voice is always going to be, you know, is going to have some, you know, certainly a lot of gravitas to it, um, a lot of billboards that look like a staring contest in the desert, you know, uh, and, you know, I... I still, you know, I mean, we all like, we still like to hang out. I don't know. I don't know many classical singers that don't like to hang out. But, but, but just by virtue, is that what you call yourself a classical singer? I, w- I would say, I would classical say, classical pop singer. I would say cla- that, that my, my training has been classical while my music has been more on the pop side. Okay. Well, we'll I, we're going to go through that history sure. in a minute, but I, but I yes, just, but I do, I do love absurdist comedy. I do love being around funny people. Um, I do, uh, love being quote unquote, you know, a normal dude, as you said, you know, when I'm not, right, on, when I'm not on stage, because I think we need to turn off that side of our voice, uh, that side of our brains. I mean, and, uh, you know, there's a certain person that I flip into when I'm on stage and when I have to perform. And then sure, when you're I'm, a show business person. The moment that I'm off stage, it, it turns off. Right. Well, what, well, I think what I, I'm getting at, what's interesting to me is, you know, I tweeted this morning, could somebody please point me towards <laughs> a, a, the best Josh Groban album? Yes. So many people pointed that just you can't see that. No, they Twitter. were very. They no, I saw. I saw a few people. A few women were like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, you've got it," you know. And then they. Oh they, no, you 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 stirred you stirred the haters. That was it. no, I but they not but no not only haters but they're condescending. I mean, I I think yes, they're they're haters, but they're it's it's because they don't listen at all. They've made right. assumptions, yes, of course, about who you are and your music, sure. and, and and frankly, no, which is to, which is totally understandable, right? Yeah. And this morning, I'm like, well, I better listen to some Josh Groban. He's coming over, <laughs> and you know, and I listen to some. And I, and okay. I and I got you know I got the uh, the beauty and the depth of your voice okay. and <laughs> I understand how you could make women weep and excited yeah, sure. and yeah. I, you know and I'm not saying that just women that men too but it's not your thing I mean it's it's not everybody's thing it's it's you know we all have we all have different tastes and that's great okay know? so but this is a thing the type of music you're doing in one form or another I I think has has been around for a long time I yes. mean the, the type of music you're doing was popular music you know probably into the the mid fifties yes and and, so. and that was it mm-hmm. yep. that this was it you know it, it was probably more big band driven or, or probably yeah, more sure. uh, but it, it was the pop music of its time you know whether you're talking about big band or you're talking about Enrico Caruso or you're talking about uh, these art songs these love songs. Uh, you know, and it was it was at a time when you didn't need to sound like a like a chipmunk to to be on you know popular consciousness. Uh, people had big voices, they had big vibrato, they had they had they weren't afraid to kind of let loose, let that beast out, and that was considered like the romantic thing. Now uh-huh. it's now it's you, got, you know it's it's very small, but um, so yeah, so I I, I think I sing full throatedly and full throated and and you know and sort of. Um uh, I, I, I just don't, there's a tempo to it. I don't know what you would call it. But slow. 
Yeah, slow <laughs> tempo. But I mean, there is a easy listening element. Okay. Or, or something that was once categorized that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm saying that, like, in a lot of ways, the type of pop music you're doing has been around longer than most of the other pop music. Right. Yeah, I would say it's a very traditional style of pop music. Right. Yeah. And and so yeah. that audience is that audience. Yeah. And when people ask me, you were asking me, do I think of myself as a classical singer? I actually really don't. I mean, the music that I sing, I would consider a traditional style of pop music. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, you know, for some reason, I think of records, uh, you know, that my, my parents, you know, they, I have the first bunch of cassette tapes that I sort of came upon because my parents had them. Yeah. You know, one of them was Jerry Vale. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. like those guys. Yeah. That they were, they're sort of like, you know, they were they were modern crooners, you yeah. know, in the 60s. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Because- they had great lush orchestrations. I mean, mm-hmm. there, was, there was just as much emphasis on who the arranger was. The arrangers were superstars. Kurt Backrack was a yeah. big uh, guy with this stuff, right? Uh, absolutely. Am I wrong? Yeah, t- totally. And they're, and they're timeless. And, um, you know, that's a, it's an era that... that, that comes around and I think my challenge you know being you know now I'm not as young but when I started uh, is uh, you know how do I how do I find a way to to make this relevant today to find an audience today um, but you found an audience no well I was very lucky I was very fortunate I had a record label that said you know we're not expecting anything from you if we can break even we'll be thrilled is that true yeah well, they didn't want to nobody wanted to sign me uh, when I got signed we you know my producer at the time david foster said look kid we we we're, we're on our own here this is a passion project well, for us well that's interesting so let's let's lead up to that where were sure. you born at cedar sinai you were here. right here born in los angeles yeah. and you're, you're both your parents lived here yep they, in, are they still here yeah they're, they're, they're here and they're married they're married 48 so, years so yeah so you're relatively uh healthy yeah i background. had a norman, norman rockwell childhood norman rockwell yeah yeah i had the i had the onesie we had we had epic christmases it was it was you know christmases grow band sounds yeah. jewish to me not jewish <laughs> yeah my, my father's side of the family is jewish uh-huh uh my dad converted when he married my mom which was a big scandal in the family wow it usually goes the other it way it usually does go the he other way he must have loved her <laughs> she did she just wouldn't tolerate a jew in the house huh <laughs> <laughs> no he, you know we were we were raised very very open-minded about religion I mean, uh-huh. we did we did the christian holidays but other than that but you must have grow band grandparents that are like oh yeah yeah very much so uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, my, on my on my father's side of the yeah. family uh and uh and i love that side of my family i feel very very attached to my jewish roots and uh and so what kind of um of, uh, background does your mom have my mom has a norwegian background so that's she's, interesting she's scandinavian huh? yeah scandinavian that's some sturdy stock there yeah oh absolutely viking power uh-huh yeah we you know a lot of a lot of relatives in minnesota i, I i'm i'm willing to bet that your uh, your genetic line needed that a little infusion uh, of viking it's, doesn't, it's, doesn't, doesn't hurt a jewish doesn't hurt line. anybody no, <laughs> it doesn't at all yeah if i have any muscle mass whatsoever uh-huh. uh then it's 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 from that side of the family for sure but okay so your father did what uh, my dad, well, he played jazz trumpet all through school. So really? he, he was a jazzer all growing up. Um, you, you grew know, up with that in the house. I grew up with that in the house. My my dad played played albums. He would play the trumpet sometimes. You know, but his his parents said to him, music is no way to make a living. You know, that go into business. So yeah. he's he's been in the executive search field. He's what they call a headhunter. He's been doing that for for years and years and years, and still does it. And he my, still plays occasionally. Mm, or no? He hadn't. He hasn't taken out the the horn in a long, long time. We were. I was actually in uh, D.C. with uh, Winton Marsalis. We were testifying to Congress for arts education and for and what for arts. Yeah, I know arts education. We were trying to get the arts funding. Uh, uh, bill passed. Really, in, in, you went and did that. Who were some of the other people involved? Uh, in that? It was it, that year. It was myself, Linda Ronstadt, and Winton Marsalis. And every year they get a few people to do it. And that was the year that I testified and to know, try to get money for the kids. Yeah, and and it's it, it's a uh, it's a bit of a dog and pony show for the for the for Congress because mm-hmm. they they know you know already what they're going to put into it and it's going to be chump change and 
you know, you do it and, and hopefully raise awareness and get people to get more and more every year. But went and asked my dad about playing. And he said, you know, I'm going to call you at, at some point. I mean, I better better find out that you've been playing. And he got out the trumpet and he started playing and he still has the lip. And How did Winton you know, know your dad? Uh, I introduced them at, at, in D.C. My parents came out with me when I when I testified. And uh, and so uh, and so Winton kind of pressured him to start playing again. And so What's he, his style? Is it, is it is it Miles or is it Chet? Chet no, Baker? it's, it's <laughs> neither. He worked with a guy named Ziggy Elman, uh-huh. who it was a very kind of uh, almost like a, kind of a almost jazzy klezmer kind of kind of stuff. Very oh, yeah, very wide vibrato kind what? of stuff. Yeah, gypsyish. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So he would you know he would kind of almost croon on the. On the on the trumpet, you know, and uh, there, we've got old recordings of him playing, and he could play. Yeah, yeah, he was good. So when you were a kid, that was around. That was around. Yeah, yeah. and my parents are both—they're very musical, very artistic. Never went into it professionally. So what did you your know, mom do? So my mom was an art teacher. She was a high school art teacher. She taught. Love Chris, that. Crispin Glover was one of her students. Really? Look uh, what she did to him. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what was yeah. She? she hasn't taken credit for that, but she should. Uh, you know. Yeah. yeah he's, man, he's done something. That was right before the Letterman interview. I think. That really? She taught him. No, I don't know. Uh, but, Probably I mean, actually. Probably. Well, he was acting since he was uh, in high since school. He was a kid, probably. Yeah. Where'd she teach? Uh, she taught at uh, Merman School, a place uh-huh. called Merman School here in L.A. Um, but you know, growing up in Los Angeles, it's it's a it's a cultural melting pot if you choose for it to be. You know, it's like you just got to throw the kids in the car and go. And they did. They took us out. We, we we would go to the music center. We'd see classical music for kids. We would build uh, a time machine in the lobby out of cardboard, and then Beethoven would pop out and play with the L.A. Phil. As, it's, it's you know, it's 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 nice to hear the good parenting. Yeah, that you know, you have a, a parent who is a teacher and a father who gives a shit. Yeah, uh, you know, they they want to open the kid's mind. I was I was so fortunate, both my brother and I. And and how old's uh, your brother? My brother is uh, just turned to see twenty nine. So what's he doing? We, he's a he's a film uh, editor and uh, uh, and director. And uh, you know, we have the same birthday, four years apart. So, Interesting. Yeah, crazy. So did you when you were growing up? Was was show business just the industry of Los Angeles in your mind? Did you grow up with a lot of kids who were Parents were in show business, and I did because it's interesting when I talk to people who grew up in LA that they, the way they think about you know entertainment and and uh, show business and movies and music and everything else is slightly different than yeah. those outsiders because you like yeah. you're dealing with kids, you're dealing with people that want to do it that see it as a reasonable avenue because you live in an industry town for sure from day one. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, we're not here because the streets are paved with gold. It's it's like a it's a thing you just kind of live and breathe since you're in elementary school. You're around kids are like, oh, that's, that's who's whose kids did you know? Um, God, I, I, well, one of the, one of the reasons why I, I eventually was, was played for David Foster was that I was going to school with, with a kid named Matt Riggs, whose father was a very famous voice teacher named Seth Riggs. Uh-huh. And we would go, we would have like sleepovers and we would have birthday parties and Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson would be walking out of the house because he, he would teach them like at really? the house. Yeah. And so it was that. How that old was, were you? I was like 10. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, was, so he was the guy. He was the guy. Yeah, he was. He was the guy. Um, you know, we we knew. Uh, I went. But where to, does that story go from there? Uh, nowhere. I, he wound up giving me lessons. He wound up having a group of a group of kids uh, that Matt went to school with come for a like a. Uh, a free music lesson. Oh, right? to show them, to encourage them. Yeah, to encourage them. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Here's, here's what my dad does. He's yeah, going to yeah. give us all a lesson. Oh, that's fun. And he's running us through scales, and I yeah. was super shy about my own voice because yeah. I was a total late bloomer. I didn't, yeah. My voice didn't even change. So like how 50. old were you at this time? I was probably 12, 13. Okay. And, I'm, and all of a sudden, I, I sing a few scales, and yeah. he's like, oh, that's very good. That's very, oh, I'm going to uh-huh. give you more lessons. So so he let me come over for, for free. You know, we would do a few lessons. Eventually, I started paying him, but but uh, it was David Foster who called him and said, hey, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a clinch. Uh, who who have you got who's young who can sing? I was at that point fifteen to sixteen years old. Uh, he sent me he sent him my tape and and the rest is history. 
Okay, okay. Well, let's talk about that history, sure. Because I'd like to talk about that. Sure. So you're 15 years old. You're yeah. taking lessons with this guy Riggs. Yeah. Because he sees talent. Yeah. And he he obviously wants to, you know, nurture your talent because he's he's letting you do it for nothing. Yeah. I assume that was the interest. He must yeah. have been sort of fascinated. Sure. And and so this guy Foster, who does tell me about him because I don't know. Him. Okay, so David Foster, um, God, well, he's he's uh, got 14 Grammys. He's uh, produced uh, everything from the Whitney Houston Bodyguard album to Chicago to uh, Boss Gags to you know a lot of stuff. A lot of vocalists. You know, he 70s does, guy. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, you know, he's now the head of Verve Records at, uh, at Universal. Uh, Verve and, Records, mm-hmm. still around. Oh yeah, still around. I've been. I got some stuff from Vanguard. Were they reissuing their old catalog as well? Or and what? new. I mean, they've got they've got a lot of amazing. Uh, Are you on Verve? I'm not. I'm on Warner Brothers, but uh-huh. uh, but he's he's doing great over there, and he's got he's got uh, you know people like Jamie Cullum, uh, um, a lot Th- of jazz. That was the jazz label for yeah, years. Absolutely. Yeah. So he's like you know he's in a pinch for what? Okay. So when he's, did, why does a guy need a singer right so away? So he's been charged with being the. Uh, he's he's been given the the. Uh, the job of being music director for at that time the governor of California was at was Gray Davis. He had just been he had just been uh, elected, and they're doing this big concert at the arena Arco Arena in Sacramento, and uh, they were going to get Michael Crawford from Phantom of the Opera to sing uh, a big song from that. And he got sick, pulled out. So he calls Seth and he's like, you know what? I don't need a big star. Who have you got as a young kid who can sing in this style? Uh, and I'll just throw him out there. And, and did you know the song? I, I learned it. You know, Seth goes, "Oh, you know, David needs somebody to sing. Go with my friend, record the song on a cassette." And uh, and I did. I learned it. And I sent it to him. He sent it, sent it to him with five other singers, by the way. And he called me up and he goes, "Hey, man, yeah, you were a little flat, but uh, you were you were good. I liked you. I liked your I liked your your sound. You know, <laughs> a little flat. We can work on that. We can work on that." And uh, and so he had me come in. All of a sudden, I'm I'm in an ill-fitting tuxedo in front of twenty-five thousand people with a full orchestra. Twenty-five thousand. It was people. in the round. The stage was in the middle, and it was they had surrounded it. It was. You've never been on stage before. I had been on stage at my junior high school in front of two hundred people. Doing I mean, what? Doing uh, fiddler, being the skinniest Tevia and fiddler on the roof. <laughs> so you were doing uh, a <laughs> Yeah, if I were ever, yeah. yeah totally. I have five daughters. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so you in know, junior high, you did in that? junior high, yeah. yeah you did Fiddler, yeah, the little beard. Oh, I had the beard. Did I you had have the a fake belly. I had the whole thing, totally. Yeah, I had the, <laughs> the whole thing, you yeah. know. And uh, and I had, uh, oh god, the, that cast was really, really hysterical. But Every- could, did people resonate with your voice then? When I mean, the, like the parents that came to see Fiddler. Yeah, they were. Were you, were you, were you already sort of like, oh my god? Yeah, because my voice at that point was was you know uh, got it, it got changed. the attention of Foster. It had changed. Yeah, thank God. And uh, and I was singing this stuff pretty big because I had a pretty operatic voice back then, and so. Yeah, I don't think they were expecting that from a 17-year-old high school student. Usually, you know... Is you that th- on... Do you have that on film? It's all on YouTube. It is on YouTube. <laughs> Somebody leaked it all on really? YouTube. Really? Oh, yeah. It's hysterical. Yeah. Oh, that is hilarious. It's fun. I'm proud of it. You know, it's yeah. good. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that was that was the, kind of the first, the first thing that I had done, and then it went straight from that to this event with David. So I was very much a student and a professional pretty much at the same time back then, and it was terrifying. So 25,000 people. Yeah. And you didn't shit your pants. You didn't throw up. You no. didn't sweat. This was before Depends was a thing. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, I was. I was sweating. I was, I was, you know, sharing a dressing room with, God, it was the weirdest. I think I was sharing a dressing room with, like, Edward James Almost and Coolio. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a very, very odd. Coolio was around a lot for a little while. He, that was right at the, right before, yes, right before uh, he did uh, Hollywood Squares. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, he was everywhere for a minute. He he was. That was Gangster's Paradise time. That was, uh-huh. that was amazing. That was, that was his only time, wasn't oh, that, it? Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> it was an epic time. I mean, yeah. really, that was... Uh, Sometimes you only get one big one. 
right? <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes, hey, yeah. It happens a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that was that. So and you're there 25 My dad's in the back row. He's taking a shaky video of it, you know. And I remember just that was my first time experiencing what it felt like to just kind of be in that Nike just do it kind of zone. Like uh-huh. I was so nervous. I was pacing backstage. And I don't remember a thing about being on stage. I just remember kind of just feeling like, all right, I got this thing I need to do. And when I walked off stage and I had seen that I'd gotten a standing ovation, I was just, it was just this thing where I said, okay, this is something, this is something I can do. I didn't expect to continue doing it. I expected to go back to school. Also, you were kind of a marvel. You're what, 17? Yeah, I was 17. And, and people were like, holy shit. Yeah, Did they so, bring you out as a 17 year old? Oh yeah. So David knew what he was doing too. Right. You know, he he's framed not, it. If well. he's not going to get the superstar, then he's going to, then yeah. he's going to create a, an ambiance around. The wonder kind. Yeah, though, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, yeah. You know, the 17 year old, you know scrawny kid so um you know so i gave david a hug and i just said hey thank you so much for for allowing me this opportunity i went back to school i was intolerable for a couple of days you know in class you know yeah. but, but then i just expected you know that was it you know so we, we all get a chance to do something like that really that was i i really i didn't have aspirations to be you know on a stage in front of thousands of people with a microphone being me right. i expected to do theater i expected to to uh, maybe do some acting maybe some comedy whatever but I wasn't ever expecting, especially at that time period where, yeah. where we were in the in sync days. We were in the, right. you know, it was, it was, if you wanted to be a pop star or a recording star, yeah. that was not the kind of voice to have. Right. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So, but th- at that time, because it sounds, it sounds like you could handle some opera if yeah. you wanted. I was studying it. Sure. You were studying yeah. in high school. In high school. I was taking voice lessons on the side. I was actually studying. I was at a great uh, public school here in LA called the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts. Uh-huh. Um, and I was there as a drama major and I would take voice lessons on the side. I was working with Seth still. I was working with a guy named David Romano. And uh, So you knew you had this gift. I did. I did. But I was, I don't know. I knew I could sing, but I was, I was very shy about it for a very, very long time. I find it to be the most vulnerable terrifying thing you can do yeah because because i don't have any chops so you know all i can do is sing as you know authentically as possible and i can carry a tune but to me it's like you know i'll talk about almost anything right and i'll put myself out there but you know when i'm singing it's terrifying well i i feel that way when i look at great stand-up comedians and i say to myself god who would who's who what kind of glutton for punishment would would put themselves in this kind of a naked position well that that's weird that i don't know why exactly i feel like it's so naked maybe because you know to me like i'm so tenuous about it or or i don't maybe i don't have any confidence in it but you know when somebody takes the stage as a singer right you know, I don't, especially somebody who does the type of thing you do. Right. I don't think people are like thinking like, oh, he's, he's wide open. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they, they want the song to enchant them. Sure. You, you have the protection of the song in a way. Well. And if you deliver it well. Sure. It's magic works. Uh, yeah, well, yes. And sometimes you deliver it as, as well as you thought you could do. And, and the audience is just clinking their plates and it's, it's sure, dead. So they, you know, you yeah. can bomb as a singer just as you can bomb as a comedian. You know, it's. it's is that true? Yeah, you know, absolutely. You play certain charity events. You play some certain certain stuff where people just aren't in the mood to listen but to anything. But they don't pay attention. They're not paying attention. But still, to you got a band behind you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, look, you still you can still kind of get lost in your thing. There are there are very there are different levels of things you can but you can you like hide a, behind in music. I don't have backup dancers or anything like that, but I do have a band. Yes, right. And you don't you don't do lip syncing. No, 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 ever. No, of course, never. So even in that first moment where you're singing for twenty five thousand people, you had confidence in your voice. You knew the song was a good song. People identified this song. Yeah. But do you necessarily ever? feel vulnerable uh every time i walk out on stage it's terrible yeah it's terrifying i think i think confidence is an interesting thing because once you feel like it wasn't until very recently maybe in the last four years 
that I started to feel like, all right, I've put in my 10,000 hours. I've put in my experience. I've, I've been through enough trial by fire moments. And David was, was a master in, in his mentorship of really putting me in uh, very, very uh, terrifying positions. Like there was a moment backstage where I said to him, look, I, I have a sore throat. I'm not feeling good tonight. There's a song he wanted me to do that just had this super high note. In it. What and I song? Said, it was called mm-hmm. The Prayer. It was a song that, that he had done with Andrea Bocelli and uh, Celine Dion. And that was a song that he had me do at a Grammy rehearsal when I was 17, which kind of got the ball rolling. And so he had me do it at this event. And it's it's... And I said, you know, is it okay if I just don't do the note tonight? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not, they're not in it for the note. They're in it for, they're in it for, uh, you know, uh, whatever else. They want to hear the quality of your voice. Don't worry about the note. Yeah. Feel better. We, I go up on stage, and the right, quality you know, of the note. They, they, they just, want, he, he just said basically, just, just sing, just sing as, 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 as well as you can, and that'll be enough. I go out on stage, and five seconds before I'm supposed to hit that note, which I'm thinking to myself, I'm just gonna. I'm going to, I'm going to mark it tonight. What does market mean? Means, uh, I'm going to pick a different note or, or not sing it full, go under, full voice. Go, yeah. Go right. under the note. Yeah. And he gets on his microphone at the piano and he goes, here comes the money note. You know, it's so basically like forcing me right in the moment to just go ahead and sing it. And I did. And he it was, said that out loud. He said that out loud on mic to all the people to get in, a laugh in the middle of the song. No, just to fuck with me. Just to fuck with you. Just to basically say. So it was a loose situation. Just no, it was a very stressful situation. He <laughs> just he just knew that I was trying to cop out. And he's like, that was his way of saying, if you want to if you want to play in the big leagues, you got to hit the fucking and note. He, and he knew you were in a situation where he could fuck with you. Oh, totally. Right. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. It wasn't a big gig. Well, because I was, gig. I was so neurotic. I mean, yeah. I was, I was always. How old were you then? I, Eighteen, nineteen. Oh, so this is at the beginning. This is at the beginning. But Before I was. Before you recorded. I'm still neurotic, but I, yes, but yes, we were in the middle of recording my first album. Uh-huh. So this was at a time where nobody cared, nobody knew, you know, and and. Uh, and you was, hit it. I hit it. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> lesson learned. Lesson totally. You lesson learned. You can turn off sickness. You can for the duration of your performance. You absolutely can. No, yeah. you absolutely can. Yeah. 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 But uh, all right, so let's go back. So you do the twenty five thousand people. It's, you, you do one song, you big hit. You go back to school. Now I got to assume the people you're hanging out with, you know, are not unless you're hanging out with the theater kids. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't get your balls busted at all for well, for what you, you know your interest was. That's the nice thing about being in an art school. Oh, is right. that is that is that everybody everybody is taking the train from 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 God knows where, right. but they're all coming from the same point of yeah. light. There's, there's no football team. At no, the there art was school. no 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 no. And I went to a private school before that, uh-huh. and yeah, no, of course, my, I, I was just you know basically hung on the fence by my underwear, gilded cage. Yes. There. <laughs> it was for uh-huh. sure. You know, so for the singing bird. You know exactly. So I was yeah. fortunate. You know, I, I I made a lot of great friends there. Many of which are still my best friends today, and so. Uh, it's a special place. We need we need more of those kind of schools. No, I agree with you, man. You know the 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 fight that the creative kids have to fight just yeah. to main you know to do what they want to do or be what they want to be in the face of fucking morons. Yeah. And it's I disastrous. I didn't go, start going to that sc- school until eleventh grade, and coincidentally, eleventh grade is when I got my first girlfriend. You know, I just started to feel like a human being. You know, I started to feel like well, it's something place that encourages you know the thing you want to work on, the talent, even if it's you know off the. Um, the sort of normal grid, whatever the hell that means. Right. But I, 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 and also it's nice to have parents that support that because I think not unlike your grandmother, uh, you know, who said to your father, I think that parents get concerned. They do. About, uh, uh, you know, pursuing that. Well, yeah. And they were very real. I mean, they're, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're very realistic too. I mean, Mm -hmm. they were very, they, they loved that I was interested in music. They obviously knew that I had a singing voice. 
but at the same time, they knew that it was, you know, potentially meant for them they'd never be empty nesters. So, uh, you know, <laughs> we got to get this kid out of the house. Yeah, exactly. They, well, what know, was it? Did you have a plan B? I mean, what, were you moving towards something? Did your I, parents was, it? I was accepted to Carnegie Mellon University for theater, you know, and I was. So it, your plan B was acting. My plan B was. Great. Was, yeah. Real joy. <laughs> they at least get me out of the house for four years. Yeah, you right, know? Right. So, uh, but, um, but, you know, no, I, it, there was a certain point where I realized that the arts had to be my thing, you know, because my grades were not great. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it worked out. I was very for. I was very so, lucky. So tell me about this this Grammy thing that was the big break. I mean, so, so it was so after the twenty five thousand thing, the the phantom, the fluke. Yeah. So three weeks later, uh, David called me and, and he said, you know, hey, you were great at that thing. Uh, listen, I'm at the Grammys right now. This song is nominated for an Oscar. It's nominated for a Grammy. It's called The Prayer. Celine Dion and Andrea Bocelli uh, are going to sing it at the Grammys. Uh, anyway, Bocelli is on a plane stuck in Germany. He can't make it. Would you sing it with Celine until until you know he gets here? You know, I'm going, oh God, send me the song. Let me see. But you're just like this 18 year old kid. Now you gotta you gotta go sing with this this like like I don't even know what she is. No, I, she's on some other different plane. On a different planet. Yeah, totally. And and I. I you know, it's she's like, like nine feet tall, he's right? Being invited to the to the mothership, yeah. She, no, she's just well, she just she floats. She's just you know, she's just you know. Oh, thank, oh nice to see you, kiss, kiss. You know, yeah, it's, just, yeah. it's just wonderful, uh, positive energy that that comes from her. And, and she's so, the the good part of diva. Yeah, exactly right. You know, yeah. she, she knows she's a badass, but yeah. she she handles it. You know, uh-huh. uh, with with humility. But uh, so you know, I got the song. He sent me the song. This, this was before you didn't know the song. No, I, I hadn't heard the song, and and uh, and I'd hardly sung in Italian before that, you know. And so it was in Italian. Oh yeah, my part was going to be in Italian. Sure, and I had taken some classical voice training, but but I'm thinking to myself, like I said, I was still very much a student. So wait, so, classical voice training means you learn how to sing in Italian. Well, meaning without... that, meaning that you 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 study the 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 opera languages, you study the Romance languages, you study but do singing. You, and... Do you need to know what you're saying? Or well, no? sure, yeah, of course. I mean, that that was the thing. So you understand I, Italian? Yeah, I certainly when I'm singing in it, uh-huh. you know, I learn it backwards and forwards so that yeah. I know the full translation. So you. Can have the feelings behind the words. Yeah, exactly right. 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 You, know, you want to be able to close your eyes and sing. You don't want to have yeah. to look at the, the translation. So, uh, <laughs> and you got to get the language right. You got to get it right. So he faxes me. You know, this is before email. This is before MP3. So he faxes me the lyrics. He in sends, Italian. He sends over a messenger with the CD, and I'm going, oh my god, because I, I was very much a baritone then, and Bocelli is like a primo tenor. So uh, I said, you know, again with the with the note, I don't think I don't think I can hit that fucking note. David, I would be like, I can't. This is an Italian. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, David, I really don't want to embarrass myself at, the, at this really prestigious thing. So you know, thank you, but this one I'm just going to have to pass. Yeah. on. You know, just just being so clueless. And I, I hang up the phone, and he calls me back. 15 minutes later he goes hey man hey it's David again listen I don't think you heard me correctly uh, I wasn't asking you I was, I was telling get your ass over to the Shrine Auditorium uh, you know we'll see you there at 3 you're 18 I'm 18 he didn't give me any passes or anything so I'm standing at the, standing at the side door with my dad saying hey I gotta sing with Celine Dion but you never but you're like you don't have it in you to go like you know like uh, this is fucked I can't do this <laughs> well, in my head I was you were like sure. this is gonna suck this is gonna God suck so it. bad this is gonna suck so gonna bad suck right in front of Celine Dion well, right yeah, in right, face right in front of <laughs> exactly right. Well, not only that, I don't know what happened between then and now. Now, yeah. now these award shows have become such an enormous thing. Now they're at Staples Center. Now they're you never see anybody that you're collaborating with at those things now. Now the dressing rooms are so far away. Nobody watches rehearsals at the Shrine. Back when it was, you know, this was 1999. 
everybody was sitting out in the audience waiting for the rehearsal. So we had Madonna sitting out there. You had Steven Tyler sitting out there. You had, you know, all these people. That was the year Ricky Martin got discovered. And he's like, you know, just walking around backstage, you know, just... It's small. It's small. It's, it's theater, a very yeah. small theater Feels world. like show business. Yeah, exactly. So I go up on stage and, and Celine saw that my hand was shaking. So she decides, oh, I'm going to take his hand and I'm going to move him to the front. Like I said, our choreography. So she was so sweet. <laughs> the, the sweating, the, the sweating kid. <laughs> 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 totally. Just walking through this. Well, I'm standing on stage and yeah. they're... they're wondering where the hell this Josh Groban Groblang Bro, Brolin kid is yeah, or whatever yeah. you know and I'm going oh it's me they're like you alright whatever stand on the X yeah, Selena yeah. will be here momentarily and she just floats out on stage with her entourage and you know and, and the, the music just starts out of nowhere and the, here's your mic like, oh shit and uh, and it, again, it was one of those things where you just you know it, it happened. It came out. I did it. My dad's going. You you knocked it out of the park. He you was know, there. My dad was there. He and went with you. He, he went drove with me. You. Yeah, he exactly right. You know, he drove <laughs> he drove me. He's the guy that had to convince the bodyguard on the side of the stage that I was actually allowed to go on stage and sing because again, I had no pass. And afterwards, he was like uh, quelling. Yeah, he was quelling. He was like, yeah. oh man, you, you you nailed it. You nailed it, Joshua. <laughs> you know. And so we drove home. And again, I was just yeah. like, oh man, this this is this well, is getting so, crazy. But what but what happened? What did Celine do after? She was she was so. So cool. And she talked to me backstage and she said, she didn't go, what the fuck? <laughs> Where did that come from? There's video footage of this too. Cause my dad, again, they, and she was also very cool that she let my dad videotape the rehearsal, which mm -hmm. having worked with a lot of divas, you know, uh -huh. since then, oftentimes that those kind of rehearsals are, you can't film anything. And she was like, yeah, sure. Of course, film will do this. So, you know, she was, she was so supportive. She gave me such great encouragement backstage and just said, you know, you keep doing your thing. You've got a very unique thing. You keep doing it. And eventually people will pay attention. Unique how? I just think that she heard that it was, I don't know. She, she, she I don't had, listen to enough singers like you to know, you know, what makes, you know, something, you, you know, translate. What well, do you think it is about you? I don't, you know, it's hard for, I'm too close to it too, you know, to be honest. I, I'm, I. What have I, you read? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think my thing is that, is that I think if I keep my voice in a certain in a certain place uh, sonically it it has it has a i guess a sometimes there's a pathos i think there's uh -huh. certain voices that that you just and i i know uh, that the voices uh, a melancholy yeah, uh, I guess a, a, a portal into those kind of feelings into an emotion into those feelings yeah the, the voices that i love are the kind of voices where if you listen to them for 5 seconds you just know who it is like who uh you know i used to i grew up listening to everybody from mel torme to peter gabriel to bjork you know i just you, you just know pavarotti was a perfect example there were a hundred thousand tenors at that time but there was something that was there was like a squeal there was a there was a, a quality to his to the way it's that a gift sang. joshua it's well, a gift <laughs> i don't i've never seen it quite frankly i i've i've always been really insecure about singing and listening to myself sing is kind of the same way people are when they hear themselves speak on a even uh, now even now absolutely. 20 million plus records yeah, later absolutely you're absolutely. still like now nah, i don't want to when i when turn I'm, that off please when i'm doing the big orchestra sessions at the at Sony or wherever, I, I I'll sing with them and I'll I'll get so much pleasure from singing, and then when they're playing it back, I have to step out of the room. Uh, it's it's I'm too hypercritical about it. All right, so you do this thing with Celine. Dad's happy. Yeah, Foster's you know yeah. he, he he's got faith in the obviously. So then so then he has a story. Oh my God, he should have seen this kid come out with Celine. You know, was, you know he got a story to bring back to the to, the executives to, and the yeah, people in the world. Exactly right. So we so, got a wonder kind on our hands. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. So yeah, we sang it. We did a lot of things together. We sang it at 101 charity events. We did a lot of a lot. That of was events. his. But that was his plan for you to get get your chops. I don't think he necessarily. Yes, I but I I'm not even sure it was a, it was a plan at that point i just think really he had to do these things regardless and it was great for Wait, him what to do you have, mean he had to do he produced them he does a lot of events you know he's music director at a lot of great music events. director yeah he's always lending his talents to to charity events uh you know we did a lot of 
you know it, so he had a thing in you and that you know you were a new guy on the scene you, you had a gift and you were young and and but yeah. also he afforded you this weird opportunity to 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 get some professional experience. Oh, absolutely! It was a masterclass. Every day was a masterclass. Mostly uh, charity events and uh, charity and events, some billionaires' backyards. You know, whatever it was that that he had to do at the time. You know, I would just I would drive up and any you know, opening slots or anything like that. Uh, what for me? I was the for, opening slot. No, that's what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah, but you know, on uh, on pay shows. Oh, oh, uh, no! I I never I never did the opening thing. I didn't even tour on my first record. I just I you know it was it all happened so quickly. All right. So you do how many of these events? You think, and, and what's the year span before you start recording? Between between 1999 and uh, and 2001, uh, you were just doing whatever he said. I, I was just I was just going to a ton of different things. And it, it, the size of the orchestra would change. Sometimes you have a combo. Sometimes you have a, a you know an ensemble. Exactly, what? exactly. It was depending. It just was. How whatever, much money was what, involved? For nothing. I didn't no, no, no. For for whoever was producing the event. So, oh, so Foster would be hired as a music director. They'd say, "Here's the budget." Yeah. And he'd say, "Why well, can't I can put together a, you know 16 piece here and exactly. bring this kid out?" Yeah, he would put. And it together. Way, here's another budget. Well, I can bring a combo. Out, you yeah. know, the guy with a yeah. keyboard and a drum, well, and it was always I was always sandwiched between the head, you know, before or between the headliners. Who you know these headliners? Oh, they'd be in from Elton John. I remember one event I was sandwiched between BB King and Ray Charles. I mean, like it was it was insane. I mean, it was it was I was I was the guy that that they weren't expecting. I was always it was it was always terrifying for me because I would look at the bill and I would go, oh god. But it's sort of weird. That's an eclectic kind of like uh, world of music. It was that you know. There's a very specific you, you know. It's not even mainstream. These yeah. are usually journeymen. Right, you know, who have a very specific ability, yeah, uh, that is not going to offend anybody mm -hmm. necessarily, and most of them are recognizable from the last fifty years or so of music, mm -hmm. right? And you know, and they're 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 not going to they're not going to fuck it up, right? No, of course, <laughs> right. So yeah. when you're working with somebody like BB King, do you have a conversation with BB King? No, I didn't have a conversation with BB. Do you have a conversation with Ray Charles? I didn't get to. No, of course not. No, no. I, I didn't. Elton get a John, you have a conversation with Elton? Uh, yeah, I've, El, El, well, Elton, you know, has, he got, seems to be very available. I've gotten lately. to know, and well, it's not, it's not even available. He's just he's just super. He's super interested in in all types of artists that come out. He knows everything about everyone. Every time he does his AIDS Foundation, he's got a, a new artist that he showcases on stage. Yeah, he seems to be into it. I don't know if he was always like that. You I know, don't know either. The prime of his career, but I'm talking. Talking to Josh Homme in here, yeah, and he's like Elton's into me, yeah. You know I mean, hey, Elton, they're hanging. Out. I'm like, really? Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> you know? He 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 asked me. We were backstage at something in London, and he said, "Hey, I'm doing a breast cancer event. Would you would you sing with me at this?" And I said, "Yeah, we got to sing your song together." It was it was. You sang duets with Elton John. I sang a duet with him. I got to sing a duet with him. He did one of my songs, and I did one of his songs. It was it was uh, it was tremendous. He can still nail it, right? Oh yeah. Oh man, he's he's incredible. I mean, he's one of those guys. The thing, the and he's on piano, and you're singing with him. Yeah. Wow, it was, it was beyond. It was a pinch me moment. Yeah, I've gotten to sing with 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 people that I just I never expected. Like that, who else? Oh man, I mean the 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 people that are, I know on the record you did you work with Herbie Hancock and Lady Smith. And, yeah, and, and I, some other duets. Yeah, I I I, I really a, a very very fun one was uh, was singing with Paul. Paul Simon was always one of my heroes growing up. Paul Simon's great. He is great. He's, he's undeniably he's, like uh, like I don't even know what it is. Like he's so uniquely himself. Yes. And has been all the way through. I, I mean, wrote, like his solo shit. I mean, I listened to the first solo album a lot. Yeah. With, um, you know, uh, Mother and Child Reunion. Oh, yeah. There goes Ryan and Simon. And, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. After, but the, the self-titled. Oh, I yeah. I love that record because it was, it was an A-track we had in the car. Oh, really? When, when I was a kid. Oh, fantastic. I mean, I, I that was the first, those were some of the first cassettes my parents would play in the house. Paul it's Simon. interesting because, you know, he has a very specific and, and kind of narrow vocal range. 
Well, he's, you know, he tells his own stories like nobody else can. Right. And, no, and his uniquely phrased, unique phrasing. There is unique something, sound. and yeah. there's something very sweet about the way he sings. You How know? do you play up against that with the the momentum of your of your uh, of your voice? Well, I mean, we did we did a, it was a thing we did at BAM in Brooklyn. We, uh-huh. were, we were honoring him. It was. Uh, uh, a, a number of us. So I got to meet the guys in Grizzly Bear at that time. That was before they they'd blown up, and and we all sang Paul Simon songs. It was the American Tune Week, where it was all of his Simon and Garfunkel and, and early solo work. And so uh, I sang. Sing? I sang. Uh, let's see. I came out. I sang America at the piano uh, by yourself. Was, by myself, which was the song I was doing in my you show, played it? show. Anyway, yeah, I played it and sang it. And then uh, and then I sang a song that really kind of took him by surprise because he had never sung it live before. It was a song called Silent Eyes, which uh, which has always been one of my favorites. But he, he said to me on the phone, this is a song I never felt that I could redo after I had sung it on the album. What album is that he on? He didn't feel... Uh, that was on, I think, Still Crazy. Really? Yeah. And... Uh, and he said, I never felt like I could sing that song live. So he he was thrilled that I that I was singing that song. And he got Philip Glass to write an arrangement. And we did a whole thing with a, with an, uh, an Armenian duduk player and a, a Kenyan uh, uh, guitar player. And it was just, it was really, really interesting. And then and then we did Bridge Over Troubled Water together. You did that. You did Garfunkel's part. I, I was decidedly Garfunkel in the, in the duo, yes. And uh, and we did that one together, and that was that. Uh, that fucking song always makes me cry. It's amazing. It is. It's. it's I don't even. It's, it's like you know, because like I'm crying thinking about it. It's like just, I'm getting choked up thinking about Bridge Over Trouble. It's Water. just. It gives you chills no matter what. Because Garfunkel too had a very sweet oh, voice. Yeah. It's, what a it's great range. I mean, yeah, amazing, surprising. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and uh, you know they 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 sang great together. So, so I, much that, higher voice than me. But. but that's interesting. So you you know you work with these guys you know the who are orchestral orchestral wizards. Oh yeah, uh, and arrangers. Mm-hmm. So you know to to kind of pigeonhole you as a schlockmeister <laughs> is is a little unfair in that I I don't know that people quite understand that you know the voice is an instrument. Yeah, and that when you know you are you know being sort of uh, you know kind of guided sure. by someone like Philip Glass. I mean, how do you work with someone like Philip Glass? Well, it's a great it's a great challenge. I mean, I, I you know all of we we all have whatever our instrument is. We have to we have to express it at, to its most honest core. For me to decide to sing rock or rap or something like that would would not be giving my voice what it does best. And uh and so, you know, uh I can certainly but, but understand Was there a time where you I mean, you know, theoretically, yeah. You you could have been a front man in a rock band sure. with that voice. That's been done before. There it are guys been. with pipes that sure. can really fucking do it. Yeah. Was that ever sort of like was it not your music decidedly or I love I grew up loving rock and roll. I just I just I, I put that in the drum category. I played drums in bands. Uh, whenever I tried to sing rock music, I would lose my voice. I didn't want to lose my voice. And I also grew up listening to I, I was inspired by by both rock singers, but I was also inspired by some of the great classical singers, some of the great crooners. And I just decided since specifically my my goal at that time was theater that i wanted to sing like the great theater baritones and that was that was my my goal i was listening to george hearn and 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 brian stokes mitchell and and those people john Raitt, and i just thought that's that's the guy i want to be i would get chills when i would sit sit in an audience and listen to those guys sing and i would think to myself if i could have a really great pure baritone voice that's that's what i want and i still loved all these other kinds of music it was just that that there was something that you gravitated towards the intimacy of true theatrical performance, yeah, it was that you know the, the you know, storytelling, yeah. you know, the storytelling, but also the 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 it's a different type of attention paid, right, to to a, a, a vocal performance, right. You know, when you got a rock band, you know, you've got to generate you know that thing that rock generates, right. Of course, in, in your own style, sure, yeah. but it's still sort of like. 
it's usually a clusterfuck of some kind. Right, yeah. And so, but you know, when you you talk about you know theatrical vocals, whether they be classical or even in musicals and stuff, the type of attention that is brought to that type of singing yeah. is very respectful. Well, uh, you And you know, must have felt the weight of that. I, I did very much feel the weight of that. And there was definitely a pedestal that I felt like I needed to put my voice on from an early age as far as just taking care of it. Uh, yeah, were you a Harry Nelson guy? Yeah, oh yeah, Harry Nelson. What the hell, were, where did that voice come well, from? Well, just, I mean, the oddness of him was just so awesome to me. I just, I just felt hell like- Hell of a singer though, right? Incredible singer, such an amazing songwriter and so misunderstood for so many years. Did you see that doc? A, a great doc. Disturbing. Uh, just, like, totally. you know, when you tell me you were afraid to, to shred your voice, that the fact that, you know, that you have this instrument that you can destroy. You know, I think that in my life, you, you sort of misunderstand- the the need to protect that thing you know this is like this is in your throat and in your lungs you can't polish it and put it away and burn the candle it's it's uh it's and 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 you know so so your job is to go out and make it look easy your job is to go out and hopefully move people and reach people but all the time that you're not doing your job you're thinking about that that very thing that you just mentioned and it can make people crazy somebody like steve perry for instance uh jesus christ that guy know, could sing what i mean has one of the greatest voices in any genre and how about that little filipino guy that does oh he's well he's amazing is he but, filipino yeah he's filipino but i don't think he has the mental demons that steve perry had i think i think he came at it from a karaoke world yeah where he just fucking loved the songs yeah and he's just like oh my god you're gonna give me this gig he's enjoying every note that he sings and i think that steve perry was tormented and i think he in might fucking way? way out of his, I, I don't know i i just i i have a feeling that it just it just got to him the stress of what you were just talking about the stress of how can i maintain this uh maybe he had a few off nights that just drove him crazy i i don't know but you do have you spent time with him but no I, I haven't at all i'm only i'm only speculating speculating from my own personal experiences of the things that could possibly teeter you over what, the edge what what, what what are your concerns on your off times oh do you, man do you run scales do you i try to do scales you know every but day it, it's it's that fine line of working your voice like a muscle of understanding the the pressure that that goes into maintaining your voice at a certain level, uh-huh. but then at the same time not trying to over be overly precious about it, not trying to v- view it as like this delicate vase that if you do anything wrong it's going to shatter because that's not true either. Uh-huh. So sometimes you just got to sing. It was like it was like when David told me to just sing the fucking money note. Right. You know sometimes you just have to sing. Right. Um, but. You know, so it's that balance, and I think that that's why I say, with with the experience, now that I'm 33, I feel like I'm finally my mind and my voice are finally starting to balance out a little bit. Right. Well, what do you do to take care of your voice? Um, well, some of it is simple. Some of it's just drink lots of water, get lots of sleep. Yeah. Uh, and some of it is just making sure you do the right scale regimens, uh, however many times a week. Or if you're on tour, it's a totally different regimen because you're, you're leaving, blowing it out every. You're night. leaving a pint of blood on stage for two hours every night. And yeah. Your whole life revolves around those two hours. Yeah. Because feeling like you you might lose your voice three songs in is not fun in front of twenty thousand people. So uh, you felt that? Oh yeah, I've I've felt that before a couple of times. Uh, all it takes is a couple out of a thousand shows to to really make you realize the pressure of what what you have to what you have to do out there. It's just coming out of your fucking mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's mental. I mean, it's all it's all mental. There, you know, there's a reason why everybody sings so great at karaoke. It's just because you're mentally just out out to lunch, and you, know? you also got to do it once. Yeah, it's just, it's you, just you once got your song. Yeah, you yeah. nail it. Yeah, I was talking to somebody else about that. If you have a certain amount of ability, yeah, usually you can you, you know you can do something a few times. Yeah, you can nail it because you're so focused and nervous. Sure, but but maintaining it yeah. and doing it over and over again, you yeah, know, as yeah. a living. It's a whole different animal, man. You know, sure. It's enough to hate it if you if you didn't love it so much. Yeah, you know. So okay, so now David Foster, 
He's got you running around, you know, doing the, the opening swat of charity gigs, the middle yeah. swat. You're working with, you know, real sort of uh, wise veteran showbiz yeah, oh, entertainers. Yeah. And that was at a time, now that I look back at it in hindsight, that was a gold, really a golden era. The final, final fleeting moments of this golden era in the music business where you could still sign a deal that was fair and that you felt like could actually lead to eight <laughs> albums uh, and you could actually build slowly and yeah. if your first album didn't hit no big deal right uh you know now it's it's all about 360 deals and, and if you if your first I single know, what's doesn't a 360 a deal? 360 deal is basically what any new artist has to sign now which is that you don't just you don't just sign to make music you sign you're giving them your tour giving them your merchandise you're giving them your entire brand essentially because most of the money's coming because from most merch. of the money is coming from that stuff now so, sales and merch. so they're in you know the music business is, is generally the content business now yeah it's it's just, it's interesting too because like since most of the money i imagine a lot of money was always generated by touring but so much of the money is generated by merch and and uh, you know the record sales thing has become different but i i imagine the challenge is not to 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 run down your artists or to allow yourself to be run down on a touring schedule. That's that's your own. You've got to you've got to kind of be a judge of that, and you've got to have great a great team around you, great management, and things like that. All right. That, so what was the that. what was the original idea? So now you do, you've you've put some work in. You've got some chops. You've uh, you've sung in front of people. And what is you know, David Foster sits down and says what? Um, he convinces the record label because he was VP there at the time that this was something that he could make that would be a passion project for him. They believed in him, and they yeah. they believed in my ability, but they yeah. didn't believe in it in a marketing way. Uh, what was that discussion like? Like, how are we going to sell this kid? I was blissfully unaware of all that at that point. Yeah, but who were the guys in your world? I mean, who were the guys that they were the model was based on at that time? I Michael mean, Feinstein? No, I mean, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it Harry Connick. <laughs> yeah, I guess Harry Connick at some point. Uh, Andrea Bocelli had had that one album that that had been explosive at that point, Romanza. Um, there, there was starting but to he's become like this, well, uh, the this, three tenors. That you right. know, there, there was a time. There was starting to be a bubbling of this idea that traditional style of arrangement and music was was getting was getting popularized again, and so that was where David was trying to think ten steps ahead. Where the record label was still trapped in, you know, hey, we got this new song by Crazy Town, you know, yeah, and uh, and so he 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 was, you know, he's always had a great ability to know what's next, right. Um, and so, so we, we got started and we got started at his house and we just made a record by ourselves, you know? So all the material that you do, uh, is written by others. Uh, for that, that, the first album, yes. Every album since then. Were, I've, were I've, they all covers or were some of them original? Pieces? Uh, a lot of them were original. Uh, we would I'm get. I'm sorry to, of my ignorance. No, 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 of course not. It's not at all. I, I, uh, it's, it was a really interesting thing cause I go through it now before starting any new album. Uh-huh. Now that there's a formula. I think to myself, how did we find songs and write songs for those first couple of records? Because what is to... that formula? Well, the formula now that you've had, when you've had success, is that people start writing for you. So you get CDs on your desk or MP3s in your in your mailbox that say, you know, for Josh Groban, and uh-huh. that's always a, a tricky thing because sometimes they hit it, you know, because they they explore and they go, you know, and that's the, a big deal for for uh, you to do a song by them. It's a big payday for them. Well, it's a payday. So 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 you start to you start to see that they listen to things that were successful and they try to make a copy of a copy of a copy. Oh, so you essentially can <laughs> listen to what's being offered to you to see, you know, what's actually resonated. What's resonated and uh-huh. what's you know, and so. You know, you're either you're either delighted, or or you say to yourself, "God, is this what people think, or is this what people want?" And then you say to yourself, "All right, well, don't be lazy. You know, yeah. if, if this isn't what you want to hear, then you must know what you what you do want to hear. So get off your ass and write." And so that's when I started writing, and I've been writing probably half my albums since album two. And that would that's closer. Yeah, closer through uh, through. All so that closer was the first album that you wrote. I wrote a few material. songs on that one. Yeah, exactly. And and what were you thinking when you did that? Um, 
I was thinking, well, it was it was an amazing door that was open for me. I, I was very shy about the writing aspect of it, uh, and I knew it was a, it was something that I needed to hone. But I was thinking to myself, I was frustrated because the first album sold five million records, and the first album had this. All of a sudden, people were taking notice, and so I was frustrated with the songs that were coming in. I didn't like them, and uh, and so I, I just decided to work with people that I was a fan of growing up. I went to France and worked with this group called Deep Forest. I worked with, you know, I did that you know song with with uh, with herbie hancock you know i just i just wanted to work with people that i thought were great it's good and, sound that herbie hancock song. oh man well he's uh, we that was really fun he, we had herbie we had the tower of power horn section you know it was just like that was my first foray and foray into like trying to sing with a groove and sometimes when i with my voice a groove can be kind of uh you know treacherous but but that was a case where we really really loved it again forgive my ignorance have yeah. you gone into the the area of uh of of trying to to frame rock songs in in your style like the, like paul anka did that album where he covered nirvana oh god yeah <laughs> i don't know have you done any of that not really uh look some melodies are just universal some some melodies whether they're rock whether they're pop country are just so great that you could you could sing them in any style and they would still be great. Stevie Wonder has a lot of songs like that. I've covered a couple of his songs, but which ones? Uh, I did. Uh, I believe when I fell, oh, I knew it's a fucking great it's song. Just, it's amazing. Art it's Garfunkel amazing. covered that yeah, song. Yeah, he did. Yeah, uh, that's the first version I heard of it. Was Art Garfunkel? Was Art Garfunkel? Yeah, from uh, Breakaway, which is a great record. That's yeah, that's an example in itself that that the fact that Art and and Stevie could be singing the same song. It's just those songs are modern that day is arias. Fucking that song kills me. It's great. I love it. So, so and the th- end of it on Stevie's version with those layers of, of, oh, of vocals and synthesizers. Oh, it's just like, going, on, going and on, on and on and on. Just... And there's like a weird, like funk ass groove in the middle of this. <laughs> the, I love that build. Yeah. I like songs that do that. It, it, um, you know. I, so yeah, no, I like and I like the ones that build like that too. I like the seven minute epic. You know, love those. Drives my label crazy. What do you but... think was the first? Like, Hey Jude sort of built that that thing, right? Yeah, I mean, all those bands. I mean, but that's... like, I'm trying to track the first time where. Because like when I was a kid and I first listened to Hey Jude and you're waiting for like for uh, for Paul to uh, you know scream yeah you know and then it just starts that nah. like you just want you just you when want. the when the song just takes a turn yeah to a street you didn't know you wanted to drive down yeah it just that's the best you know yeah and uh, I, I I love that too and I try to you know I try to find those kind of songs and I try when I'm making original music I try to find stuff you always want to give fans what they want to hear but i prefer to give them stuff they didn't expect they wanted yeah but when you write your songs which ones to you are the most personal i mean like out of the songs you've written where, where you're like you feel like you're putting your heart out there i felt like probably the 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 album that i did with rick rubin's uh, illuminations record was was probably the most personal he really really pushed me to write most of the record and he said you know look I, everybody knows you're a great singer you know, make these songs from you instead of just being presented by you as a vocalist. So he got me with an amazing writer named Dan Wilson. Uh, he was the lead singer of Supersonic. He's got these amazing, uh, amazing uh, solo records as well. And uh, and we spent like, you know, six months together in Minneapolis at his house and, and just wrote a ton. And we would just talk about life and relationships and things that were pissing us off and making us happy. And we, we would sit at his piano and he had a guitar and we would just write. And so it was a very kind of bare bones um, a very kind of we talk about that nakedness it was a very different kind of record for me what was the orchestration was it just you and a piano um, some of it was just me and a piano uh, Rick was really excited about the opportunity to work with you know full orchestras you know he had not ever worked with uh, more of a traditional style singer like myself so uh-huh. so he you know he had a blast you know at Capitol Records you know listening to the orchestra rehearse around him that to him was just like a, a really fun thing and, and so you know that in the was, old Capitol building, the old Capitol in building, the old studio, those walls, man. Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. There's a lot of history there, and and so, you know, it was 
it was great because I, I learned so much from him. It was a master class just from an A and R perspective. From Rick. From Rick, just listening How's, to songs. Like what? Um, I, I I didn't realize at that point the importance of patience. I, I liked to, uh, it, you know, I, I'm pretty impatient when it comes to making sound and making music. I want to throw the paint on the canvas, see what it sounds like, see what it looks like. And he would say, you know, let's listen to music. Let's listen to like a chorus that you've worked on. Okay, let that sit for three months, and uh-huh. if you still love it. He he's of the mindset of let's see if we can try and have hindsight before it's too late. Uh-huh. It, what it means is you're going to spend three years making a record, which you know my hindsight is I wish it had taken not so long. But um, but it's great. It's a lot of time thinking about what your sweet spot is, and uh, and and where your where your 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 core is. And so yeah, we we had a, we had a great time. It was it was something that I'm not sure we would or should do again. But but for that album and for that couple of years that we worked together, it was it was wonderful. How did that album sell in relation to the others? Um, not as well. <laughs> uh, Why do you think that is? Um, I think that you know it was in, it was a bit of a curveball to my fans, and I think that it was marketed as not going to be a curveball, which I think was it was was a mistake. I think a curveball what in that they had not heard that because Rick is you know it's almost like been, you feel like you're in the room. He's got a very dry sound, yeah. you know, and everything. Even if it's a full orchestra, it's like a full orchestra in this radio. Yeah, room. It's like you know, compressed almost. It's compressed. It's dry, uh, and so. You know, there's a certain, there was a certain lushness, a certain uh, um, largeness, I think, that the fans were were, were used to, and, and, and a certain kind of style of song, too. You know, when, like any time he asked me to go from uh, some of the stuff that, that is, I guess, more of that old school style to let's let's write in a very new school way, um, you know, the fans were, were surprised by it, as I knew they would be, but I, I was expecting it to be marketed more towards like this is a, this is something we've tried and we're doing and 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 this is this is a one thing you know and it was marketed like here's the new record you know and so i think it was it was a little bit um we we certainly weren't shooting for radio or anything like that with this record but in those songs though is there a song in your mind that you wrote that makes you you, you know feel fragile yeah there's a song called higher window that was was, was about a really bad breakup and uh and it was uh yeah, that was that was that was one that um, was one of the more emotional writing sessions for sure. Now, have you done any of those songs from that record live? in, yeah. in a different production. The live the live versions of those songs went great. Uh, you know, and and that's what Rick said is that we're we're dealing with a continuity here on this record. This is the style that I want to make this record sound like. But when you're live, all rules are off. You can add those drums back. You can add sure. whatever else. And so, you know, when when boom, 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 boom yeah, boom, yeah, boom, get boom. that get that gravitas back. You know, <laughs> and so of course, you know, after spending three years in a dry room, uh-huh. you get out in front of a live audience again, and you just yeah. want to add all the bells yeah. and whistles. And so, of course, the <laughs> crowd goes nuts. And oh, I didn't know I liked this song. You know? <laughs> so you know, you do your thing. And and but but it was interesting because because the combination of the way Rick worked and the combination of going back to the instinct of how I like to work, I found a nice happy medium of like there was something to be learned from that. Um, I grew for sure working with him, and uh, and now it, it's okay to to feel like this is this is what I do and this is what I want to do. So, who are your fans? Um, it's a good question. I mean, it, it's definitely shifted and 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 gone from a very specific demographic early on, which I think was was primarily uh, uh, older and primarily female, uh, to you know the great thing about live performance is that you can go out and see who's out there. And I think in the last two or three tours. And I like to walk through the audience sometimes and talk to people and stuff. It's it's the whole family, which is which is great. Um, Tony Bennett once told me, you know, if you can keep it a family show, like it's that's great. You know, get the whole family there, and you'll just yeah. you'll be great. You know, yeah. Yeah. and uh, I'm thrilled for that. I'm, I'm thrilled that, that the the whole family's there, and I'm thrilled when I'm surprised by people. You know, because I get I get you know sometimes I get my own 
sometimes I, I, I throw myself into a box and I'll say, uh-huh. oh, we'll say, I'm going to walk out and see a certain type of person, you know, a thousand times over. And I'll see the guy with the mohawk or whatever. And I'll be like, oh, shit. How many times does Great. that happen? Yeah, maybe once. Yeah. <laughs> but I love telling that story. <laughs> Enough for the story. <laughs> <laughs> He's there on a dare. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. totally. But even, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. You know yeah. what? If you walked out of there going, well, that guy's pretty talented. I'll take it. I don't care how you get there. It just, uh, you know, and so, you know, I, yeah, no, I'm fully aware that, that, that half the audience was, was, was either there on a dare or they're being dragged by a significant other. My goal is by the end of two hours for them to go, you know, I, that was all right. You know, so, yeah. Well, yeah, I think that people's opinions are based on, you know, a lot of times a lack of investigation or, or of close-mindedness yeah, of I, one kind or another. 100%. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you're in that weird position to be like, yeah, I like the guy. You yeah, know, yeah. I'd never tweet about it, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. My, it's my guilty pleasure. Yeah, my yeah little, sure, sure. My sure. little secret. I'll take that. Sure. Yeah. So, but now, like when you do the, like the thing you did with Jimmy Kimmel, you know, and the, yeah. singing the Kanye tweets mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever you did with Tim and Eric. Right. I mean, is there part of you that thinks like, you, you know, I, am I pushing the limit with my fans? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and part of that's okay with me. Uh, I think that, you know, f- first and foremost, when I'm, when I'm dealing with comedic stuff, it basically just has to do with is this gonna make, is this is this funny is this gonna make me laugh? But, but also, like I said at the beginning, you're coming from a place where you know to to most people who who probably don't like your music, mm-hmm. you are this you represent that right. So to see you do anything outside that yeah. character, they're gonna be like, oh my god, you, well, this kid's a, sure he's like a funny kid. <laughs> <laughs> I but I love that stuff, and, yeah, I, no. and I'm perfectly happy to take a pie in the face if it makes somebody laugh, and and I I think that. Uh, you know, if it's intelligently done, there are plenty of times where people want me to do like the, hey, sing like you for this thing. Yeah. And it's just not funny. It's just right. not, it doesn't serve any purpose. It's just, right. it's just uh, making fun for making fun's sake and it doesn't have any intelligence behind it. And it might be making fun of you. Yeah. Well, yeah. You want to be in on the joke, right. you know? Sure. And, and, uh, and so, you know, with, with the stuff you mentioned and I, I, I just loved all the all the Tim and Eric stuff and 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 love those guys and and and. But I have to imagine that you know if some of your fans did not come around for Illuminations, is that the name of the record? Yeah, yeah. That uh, they're probably not going to come around for Tim and Eric. But it's 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 a different. First of all, it's probably a very different audience. I've probably got some of some some of my core fans that are kind of looking over at the Tim and Eric thing, going. That's kind of silly. Yeah. What's he right. doing? What's he doing over there? Yeah. You know? I don't get it. I don't get it. But yeah, that's okay. Anyway, yeah. back to back to. Well, you, know. you see, you seem uh, just from the the mild tweet experience I had with a few of your fans, uh, they seem to be uh, you know, very forgiving and yes, and yes. Like, they're like, oh, you're a good sport, Josh. They're loving. Well, yeah. it's just been them and I for twelve years. I mean, uh-huh. I've never been a press darling. I've never you know been an awards darling. So it's it's you know they've had to put up with a lot with me. They've we've made some some good moves, some wrong moves, and and they've been by me ever ever since. And uh, and so. You know, yeah, I think that that they enjoy. You know, I I really do. It's it's interesting. I I was afraid that they would kind of look at that stuff and and shun me for for doing anything that was was in any way poking fun at our world or or anything like that. But but well, truly, they've got a great sense of humor and they they love that stuff. But but also, like I think there there must be the issue of of maybe because they pro- you know fans project things onto you. Sure. You know, you represent something yeah. to them. Yeah. And they have you in 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 their heart yeah. in the box. Sure. So, like the the fear of going out of that box or revealing something about yourself that might make them go like, I didn't know he did that. Yeah, but you know what? I think they all have that side of them secretly too. I think I think we've all got we've all you all we all have to have that side a little, even a little bit. Yeah. I think that you know my point of doing that kind of stuff, and again, the fear of will they like it or not like it is not like, hey, guess what? I've been fooling you. I'm actually this guy. It's yeah, it's look. no, it's it's hey, look, I, your face. I'm both guys, you know, and that's what it is. Is is that. 
I'm do you, just, do I'm, you have things that you're like, you know, all my fans can never know that. <laughs> well, I mean, you've got to you've got to have something, you know. <laughs> I can keep that to myself. I don't know, you know. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm weird, you know. I mean, yeah. I I think that you know, but but that's fine. I think that you know, harking back to those days, you gotta have some privacy. You gotta have some privacy. You gotta have some mystique, mystique you know. I sure. mean, like I'm. Th- frankly thrilled that the paparazzi couldn't give two shits about me i think it's the greatest gift that that i could have been given in this business because it just kind of you know they don't need to see me picking my nose you know it's 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 fine you know i'm yeah. okay with that well that's a that's that's on the very that's a very small transgression yes yes you well, know, picking your nose i think you could you could you could uh, take that hit that's as bad as it gets <laughs> okay <laughs> but uh yeah so what, what do you mean that you, you don't feel like you've gotten a fair shake from the awards and from the uh this and the, you've won a grammy haven't you no Mm-mm. No, yeah. uh, I, I, you know, and I, and I may be one of those artists that never does, you know, I mean, I'm perfectly happy having my own lane. I'm perfectly happy keeping my head down and, 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 and doing my thing. Sometimes when you're, when you're a little bit hard to define, uh, by the industry or by journalists or whatever, then the, the reaction to that is uh, to, to confusion. The first reaction to confusion is, is negativity. And then it's a little bit head scratching. And then they say, okay, well, we like you, but we don't have any yeah. place for you. So frankly, I mean, I don't blame the Grammys, but at the same time, like I, I look at look at all the categories and I see what goes into those categories, and I yeah. say I, there just isn't a category. There just I don't know where I would go because if I'm pop, you know, I'm in there with Timberlake and Bieber and all those guys, and if I'm classical, then I'm in there with you know Placido Domingo and all yeah. those guys. And th- there isn't an in between category, so um, there's no place that I could go where I where I would win. But you want one. Oh, I mean, sure, of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, it'd be great. But but I'm okay. I'm totally okay uh, without one, and and I'm okay with you know the success. Honestly, is is, is fantastic. Was so was the last record uh, Illuminations? Was last that? record was called All That Echoes. It came out last year. Okay, yeah. so that was after the one after the Rick that was Rubin after record. the Rick Rubin record. Yes. And how'd that record do? It did all right. Yeah. Yeah, it did fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it did fine. Business is tough, Mark. Business is tough. Is right it? Now. Yeah, it's tough right now. Come on. The number one selling records in in the country right now are only doing two million now. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, uh, so so back in the day when I was you know I said like I sold five million six million records, that was a time when you still could you last know? last window. Yeah, exactly. If uh-huh. I sell if I sell seven hundred thousand a million records now, I, I view that as a success. How much are you touring? Uh, I did a hundred shows this last year. You know, Jeez. so you know I, I love touring. It's, you basically, you make an album now so you can get out on the road. I mean, it's it's fun. Does your old man go out with you? Yeah, he'll come. He'll come out sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, I love. I mean, anytime I can bring my parents out to something I'm doing, it's all happening in such a such a high pressure world for me that if I can see something through their eyes and uh-huh. I, I know they're in the audience, uh-huh. uh, it's great. Because yeah, I go back to those old stories and I just think, yeah, we did it. We yeah, did it, Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did it. Yeah. You knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. What's your biggest fear about the, the future? Well, I think that my biggest fear about the future is the same fear I had ten years ago, which is that okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my thing. And uh, you you want to be able to do it well, you know. I think that the success will come and go. There's always peaks and valleys, and I've certainly experienced peaks and valleys in my own success. But I think for me, I, I, I my biggest fear is I'll run out of passion. My biggest fear is I'll run out of inspiration. You know, I, I that's I, a, that's a hell of a crossroads. Well, I you know, and then if I do, then I'll go do something else. You know, uh-huh. but but like what. Uh, I don't know. I'm not good enough with my hands to be a veterinarian. I I don't know well, what I would. When do you think about join that? the army? I I don't know. I I don't know what I would do. I, I uh, what do you I, like doing? Well, I mean, I like comedy. Maybe I would just focus on on yeah. doing some you know funny some, some funny shit. You know, yeah. I don't know. Uh, what do you What are your hobbies? I would love to I, mean, I would love you? to host a show sometime. I would, I love I love. Uh, I loved uh, uh, doing co-hosting work and 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 stuff. I did never mind the Buzzcocks in England. Did some stuff with uh, with live with Kelly here in LA and in New York, and it just I, that's always been fun. Would you like to be a judge on one of those shows? I don't know. 
<laughs> honestly i i what do you, you know, do for fun man uh I, I i love to fly i fly i fly airplanes you do yeah i'm almost done with my pilot's license um, really having a blast doing that Did you buy a plane no I, I haven't bought one but i i'm using how much does a plane cost uh these planes that i'm flying they're probably like 600 700 grand they're, really they're yeah they're expensive they're prop planes prop planes yes single engine four-seater uh-huh. prop planes um oh and my god you do that huh? i just I, I love it it clears my head the best decisions i ever make are are within an hour of landing because it focuses you it takes me completely out of the creative side of my brain and puts me into this if you don't pay attention to the numbers here you're going to die and i you know growing up you know very unfocused you know i've i've had add my whole life it's like having this thing where i i have to really focus and really uh, dive into something that's totally non-creative. You know, you have to play by the book. Um, is 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 a great workout for my head, and it's uh, and it's it's great. It's freeing. You take you know you take off. Any close le- calls? Leave the earth behind. No, no close calls. Thank thank God. Have you done any solo weird. flying yet? Uh, my first solo flight will be as soon as I get back to New York in about a week. So, uh, oh, you living over there now? Um, I'm about half and half, we're, but we're, I'm, I'm training in, in upstate New York. Oh, so you go up there to a little airfield? Yeah, well, it's it's a Westchester County Airport. It's a uh-huh. great great airport there, and you can fly. You can either you know you you turn left and you're over the Hudson. You turn right, you're over Connecticut. So there's a lot of very great options as a student to fly over there. Now, what what uh, what what compelled you? Uh, I, so I had met a couple of guys from Delta who said, hey, we're coming to your show. I was playing an outdoor uh, arena there, and they said, hey, if you want, we train our pilots all night. If you want, come to the uh, come to the Delta headquarters, and we've got our flight simulators, or these $45 million 747 flight simulators. If you want, come hang out with us. We'll show you the simulators. The moment I finished my last song, I got in the car. I didn't even change. I went straight to the airport, and I, I, I worked with them until 5 in the morning, and I, I they taught me how to land a 747. And I said, this is the, cool, oh this is the coolest shit I've ever done in my entire life. I got the butt. I mean, it's pretty cool way to get the bug but like yeah. i was like this and i said how how does this translate to small plane flying they're like yeah. aerodynamics are, are the same it's 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 just you're dealing with you know a very, very fewer switches yeah fewer switches yeah exactly <laughs> right but but the, the the you know flying is, is flying is flying and so he said hey if you were into this you know go take some flying lessons see if you dig it and uh you know 40 hours 50 hours later i'm, I'm just still passionate about it all right. Well, be careful, man. Yeah. Thank you. I'm. I'm trying. You know, my mom's okay with it. So you know. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, it was nice talking to you. Great talking to you too. Thanks for having me in. That's it. That's our show. I told you he was a good guy. Go to wtfpod.com for all your WTF pod needs. Check the calendar. I'll, I'll update it. I, I know the dates are a little screwy because some of those Oddball Fest uh, tickets haven't gone on sale. They will go on sale. I will be uh, go to go to WTF Pod. Go to the calendar I, because like I can't read through it all. I got dates coming up in Lawrence, Kansas, which is close to selling out. St. Louis is sold out. Uh, I think I got a date coming up in Denver, but I'll keep it all up to date uh, on the calendar. All, all right, okay. Boomer lives. <laughs>